Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by Taylor Loren, Director of Content Marketing at Later. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Likewise. I've been following you for a long time before we met in real life, and I've been following your career for a while. And so I think a good place for us to start is, would you be able to share kind of how you got your start in marketing and how you ended up doing what you're doing today at Later? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of funny because I've been working in the B2B content marketing space for my entire career. So over 10 years and almost all of that was specifically within the social media space. So it's very niche, I guess, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like I've been working in the same industry that whole time. Cause that's what I love about socials. It changes so much over time. So I actually dropped out of university and that's how I got started in marketing. I never thought, I never dreamed of you know, working in business or marketing, I was very like, thought I was going to work in politics and all that stuff. But when I was at UBC, and this is, you know, like 12 years ago, I really loved a lot of my extracurricular activities and not so much the actual academic work. So I started a blog when I was on campus with my friend and it kind of took off. And, you know, I worked at the school newspaper and all of that was really promoting the content that we were creating through social media. And that's where I kind of realized like, okay, you know, this has more of a purpose than just connecting with your friends. And, you know, that sounds so basic now, but in 2008, 2009, it was not very popular. Most businesses weren't on social media. So I got an internship at Hootsuite actually back when there was like 25 people working there and I loved it. I was doing social media. I was working, I was actually educating people about how to use social media, which is very similar to what I still do today. And that's when I kind of realized like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. So I, you know, got a job offer there. I didn't go back to school. I didn't think about that at all. And I've just been working in social media and marketing ever since. So it's been really fun. That's so interesting because I also dropped out of university. I don't hear a ton of people say they've dropped out of university and end up to work in social, at least that I've met. I've worked with other people who have kind of stumbled into social, but they finished their degree. And so it's, I think it's very unique to hear someone who also dropped out of university and ended up to go in and work on social. So that's really, really cool. Do you think that that dropout mentality, do you think that kind of helped you get to where you're at today? Definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, I have multiple years of a head start around other people my age just because I was fully like in the workforce working on super cutting edge stuff. I think that's definitely helped. And I think the general mentality, I'm a very, like, I, again, I have no formal marketing training at all. Like everything I know is just from teaching myself. And so yeah, now that you say that, I guess the dropout mentality would be like jumping into something and just starting instead of waiting for people to like teach you about it and teaching yourself. Yeah, everything in my career, I've had that's how I've had to do it. And that's why I think working in startups for me has been so fun because you learn so much just by, you know, having to wear four different hats in one single job and moving quickly. So it's like a real life university in a way, I guess. Just get getting <laughs> dropped off the deep end and see if you can swim. Is that it? Yeah, exactly. And I think, it, I think in, you know, when you're working in a really small startup, people are, 
people are not expecting you to know the answers to everything. People are expecting you to go outside your comfort zone and try new things and just figure it out and make it work. So just kind of different expectations there. Totally. I think that's actually like a good, a good segue into my next question. So you were a, a weren't you the first marketing hire at later? Yes, I yeah. was. And so, so, you know, being the first marketing hire at later and you now leading content marketing there, when it comes to content, like what role does content marketing play at later? Yeah. Content marketing plays a really, really important part in not only our marketing strategy, but our overall like acquisition of customers. So up until about a year ago, content marketing was basically the only function of marketing that we were doing. And then now, you know, in the last year we've built on like a growth marketing team and a product marketing team. But before that it was really based around email, blog, social, and that was what not only drove, you know, like our leads and stuff, but that was like our only way to get customers. So we didn't have, we still don't have like a sales team or anything like that. So our explosive growth with our content and our brand has really been what's propelled the whole company to grow so quickly. So I feel so honored to be a part of a company that really, you know, saw the value in content marketing and, and invested in that instead of, you know, typically I think nowadays you see a lot of the opposite of things starting with, um, from a paid perspective, um, and then people are building on the, like the brand element and the content element afterwards. And we were actually really flipped in that we had the content and then brands first, and then we built the paid engine, um, after. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it, and it, I mean, it is a super smart strategy. What just struck me when hearing you speak about that is like, I found that a lot of people who talk about content marketing are very artsy or like very contenty. And I don't, I, I'm probably butchering the way that I say that. What I was, <laughs> what I find so unique with you is like, you just went like full business on me there. And I think that's like, that's really, really interesting. Do you think that has given you kind of a unique advantage? Because just hearing you speak about how content ladders up into the business. That's something that I just haven't heard from a lot of content marketers that are talking about content. Oh yeah. Anytime we are planning anything content wise, you know, we always go back to, okay, how many customers is this going to drive? How many signups is this going to drive? Taking those estimations and then multiplying it by like our lifetime value and then making sure that we're going to like make money off of those initiatives in the long run. Was it always like that? Like when I first started? No, I've definitely learned a lot. <laughs> The whole pillar really of our content marketing strategy and our whole company is really comes down to our blog. And that's been the main engine that's really kept everything going. So when I started out later, we had a blog, but they got about 30,000 sessions a month. And the, that was all just from one blog post. So that was, um, oh, wow. you know, us. it was one blog post that did well on search. It's about Instagram bio. Yeah. And you know, nowadays we're at, you know, we get 2 million sessions a month. And so that, and the blog really exploded in the first year. I think even just within the first like two or three months of me working there, we were already at over a hundred thousand sessions per mm -hmm. month. Um, and I, that was such a big deal to me at the time. And now I'm like, Oh, that's, that's nothing. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so I think like, you know, just having so much like having our blog be everywhere on search, like you're searching anything Instagram marketing related and like you're going to see later. And that's just like a free discovery tool. Like having all of our content be so ingrained with search has just allowed us to like, as that topic becomes more popular and more people are, you know, over the years of searching Instagram marketing, like 
there more people and more people are finding out about later without yeah. us having to spend any money on that so yeah Absolutely. And well, that I mean, my next question, which I think fits right into this is you're in a very competitive space, right? Like Instagram marketing is a super, super competitive niche to create content about. And hearing you kind of talk about, you know, the planning that goes into it. How do you decide on what to create? You know, when later I was starting out, I actually joined when we were called later Graham way mm-hmm. back in the day. <laughs> and the OGs then we, will remember. <laughs> yes. And then we did a rebrand. So side note, that has been really cool to be able to, you know, say, I think that's probably the, the thing I'm most proud about um, from my career is just, you know, being able to say that you literally built a brand from nothing to what it is now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of cool. But yes. So how do we decide what to create? I think it's a mix. I would say like generally my approach, like for a B2B company but I think that B2B marketing gets such a bad rap sometimes for being um, boring or like corporate. So we definitely try to take a little bit more of a B2C approach to our marketing because my philosophy is just like, at the end of the day, like we're a business who's marketing to people who work at another business. So you're really just having to have that marketing to another person mentality versus like marketing to another business. So Mm -hmm. we try to stay inspired by a lot of the B2C trends that we see and working in the Instagram space, there's so much to stay inspired from. So I think that part of our decision-making comes from looking and seeing like what, you know, really trendy Instagram companies are doing Um, We'll take inspiration from companies like Revolve or musicians and things like that Um, and kind of coming up like, okay, how can we, you know, what are some unique things that we can do as a company that other companies aren't really doing yet? And the second thing would be like, we really choose what we create based on a lot of data. So search, like I mentioned, that would be a huge thing. So we will look at search trends, seeing different keywords that, you know, are starting to come up and people are starting to search for before they really explode. So that can tell you so much and give you a lot of good ideas about what to post, what types of campaigns to run, looking and seeing at the blog posts that we do have, which ones are rising in traffic each month, which ones are decreasing. That will tell you a lot about what people are looking for as well. And then we also look at our product roadmap and seeing like what different features we're going to have releasing. And then ideally I love to kind of start marketing that before we even release the product at all. So for example, like just kind of warming people up to different concepts or ideas months before we actually launch them. Because, you know, if we're coming out, we know we're coming out with a ton of user generated content features, but our audience isn't really aware yet about why UGC is important or even what it is, we'll start to um, create content around UGC months before the release. So then when it is ready to come out, people, we don't have to like do that education element already. People are already aware what UGC is and they're excited that there's now like a tool to help them manage it. Wow. That that was a really long winded answer. (laughs) No, no, no. That that was all so awesome. I mean, I think about how it's it's just such a smart strategy, like being able to kind of plant seeds ahead of product releases using, you know, this content marketing engine is wicked smart. And my only follow-up question to that is, have you had instances where, you know, maybe there was a feature and you guys created a piece of content and 
you learned something and maybe then you, you changed that feature or you pivoted that feature. I'd be super curious to hear if that even, if that's a thing. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the ones that sticks out in my mind would be, well, we run all of our features like through, you know, like beta testing and stuff like that. But probably when we came out with Instagram story scheduling, we had a, I think we launched it in January last year. Um, and originally it was supposed to launch, I think in like October. Um, and we had some campaigns that were, ready with partners around that and the feature came out at was basically ready and it didn't have the ability to add text or url so you were just planning out you know you could add your media to get notified but it didn't have any ability to like copy like a caption or what i think is the main use case which is being able to put your link in so that came out and i was just very insistent that in order for people to find this feature really valuable based on, you know, the feedback we've gotten from the content and what people are actually like using stories for and their main goals, which is usually like driving traffic, um, that we really need to have that ability. So we actually pushed back the product and it came out two or three months later just so we could add that in. And then it was a huge success. So, you know, we ended up having to still move forward with the partner campaign around Instagram stories um, without the feature, but that's okay. Like most if we had to wait to have a feature in order to create content about an area, then <laughs> we would be waiting all the time. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we definitely operate like we're just like, we're going to just talk about something and if it's in our industry and then like build up the SEO credit or educate people about it. And then one day when we have a feature that will fit with that, then that'll be great. So like we were talking about Instagram stories and doing so much stories content long before we ever had an Instagram story scheduler. That makes a lot of sense to me. And and I can see now, like as someone who has consumed later's content for a long time, I can see how you've been strategically planting those seeds and I bit on them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit here. I've seen, and, and people, I'm sure people that follow you have seen that later is starting to expand into covering new topics such as TikTok. How do you approach yeah. expanding into like a net new topic and again in such a competitive space? Yeah, it's a great question because it's so top of mind for me right now. And what I keep telling people, which is not helpful, is like our approach is I'm like, let's just do what we did with Instagram. Like when we first started all of our content marketing around Instagram marketing, people weren't searching it. People weren't like looking up blog posts, like people weren't writing blog posts at least about Instagram marketing in your business. And so we were really one of the first people to do that, which allowed us like, that was great. Like first to market and a content angle is really helpful and what made us grow. But now, you know, we're going to go into TikTok and we're not the, we're not the very, very first. We're definitely probably going to be one of the first of the bigger media outlets, but there's other people there. There's other content that we're going to be up against. So I think that if you can't be first, then you have to be the best. And so that's probably our strategy is that all the content we want to create about TikTok, it needs to be super informative, super educational, really high quality. So people, anytime, whether they're interacting with a blog post or they're watching a course or a webinar with us about TikTok, they're like getting so much value from it that they just equate later equals TikTok source. Like that would be our goals. And I think that you can do that with the quality of your content and incited part, and then it benefits everything. And you'll eventually end up, even if you're not the first search result right away, if you have a lot of people that are engaging with your high quality content, then eventually that is going to make you move up to be in that, in that number one search result. 
I guess what you're describing is like a land grab or a real estate grab early. Yeah, for sure. That's so like, smart. That's what we're focused on right now. Hopefully none of my competitors are listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely doing that that land grab and investing in it. But I think it's also when I did that with Instagram when we started, that was four and a half years ago. So it's, I think it's a test for me. Like, is it, re- you know, most marketers, if you have success in one thing, you're like, can I ever achieve that same success again? Like, was it just a fluke or did I actually know what I was doing? I agree with that. I, I think... The one thing I would, my, my follow-up would be, yeah, what would be your advice to, to marketers, right? Like you kind of have this strategy of like land grab and, you know, if we're not the first, we're, we're going to be the best and, you know, we could be second and then be the best and then get to number one. But are there any other strategies that come to mind that you think would work for other marketers? Yeah, I think zoning in on what your niche is as much as you can is really good. So I think like for later... For years, we only talked about Instagram and that was our thing. It wasn't all of social media. It wasn't Instagram and Facebook. It was just Instagram. Um, So whether that is, you know, whatever your company is, it's, you know, a natural beauty company, like you're super all in on all things natural beauty, but you can go even deeper into being like, okay, you're the expert on natural skin moisturizers or, you know, like natural skin care or, or whatever. And just find, yeah. I mean, that's such a generic answer though. People are always just like, find your niche. Um, well, yeah. My follow-up question then would be, what is, what is truly niching down to you? And I think some people talk about niching, but then you see them doing like a bunch of different things. What do you think about that? I think when you're creating a niche, it really comes down to like knowing who your target market is and really knowing who your customer is. And I feel lucky, like for me, at later, our target market is basically myself. Um, I like all of my demographics, you know, like I fit, it's just usually like urban millennials with like this much marketing experience, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like because of that, I intuitively can just understand sometimes if things are going to be like a hit with our audience or not. But if you aren't your target market, like a lot of people aren't, it's just really trying to like get in the head of those personas and understanding your customers to the best of your ability and really work and, you know, following absolutely everybody in that niche and seeing what other people are doing. What are the people who are following them doing and just like basically creeping (laughs) as much as you can um, within your specific niche where you just know it inside and out. I'd, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into that. So, yeah. you know, those tactics that you just mentioned in terms of like understanding, those would work for, you know, when, when brands are first starting out. Is there anything that you do today um, to, to get deeper that you think would be useful sharing? Yeah, honestly, that's pretty much like a big weak spot in our company. We actually don't have like any official persona development or anything like that. We have some like general ideas and like a few data points to go off of, but we really haven't built out those true like marketing personas. So I think that's definitely an area for us to like improve upon. So I should really be listening to other people's advice in that area. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about, we're obviously currently living through a a global pandemic and and people are spending more time at home and, and online. What do you think the opportunity is for long form content? I think this is something that we've seen, you know, obviously like the streaming giants do and Mm -hmm. with people having more and more time. How do you think that fits in for content marketers? 
I mean, I don't want to say it's a good opportunity because obviously <laughs> it's a horrible situation, but you know, you've looked, you can, it's so apparent right now, brands are really investing in brand affinity content. So if you aren't, for people who aren't familiar with brand affinity, it's something that we started to really care about at later in the last six months or so. And if you look at Wistia, they really made the concept of brand affinity a lot more popular. So instead of looking at, you know, just general brand awareness, that's looking at like how deep are those connections that you're building with your audience. And one of the best ways to build brand affinity is having people spend more time with your brand and having them spend really focused time with your brand. So podcasts, long form videos, long form blog posts, all of those type of things that people are spending, you know, like a decent amount of time actually engaging with your content, they're going to, you know, feel a lot stronger of a connection to your brand. So right now with, you know, internet usage increasing, people are spending a lot more time with content. This is a good time to work on retention from a marketing perspective. And that's just really just providing value for your brand and staying in touch with your followers. So, you know, even if lots of people's businesses might have slowed right now, or some have maybe stopped altogether, Um, if you know that, you know, I think about, for example, people in like the events industry or the wedding industry and stuff like that, they know there will come a time when, you know, their services are needed again. So it's like, what can you do in this lull to make sure that you're staying top of mind so that when things do get back to normal, you're still at the front of people's minds. So they need to make that purchasing decision. So long form content is such a good way to do that. So we started an IGTV series at later, it's called screen time. And, um, that's probably our big brand affinity initiative because it's, you know, a five to 10 minute video that we're producing every single week. Um, that's giving that people are going to like be spending time with us through through a video. I think podcasts like this one are another great one to do as well. It's just really anything that's, you know, that's more than a quick social media post or something where people are really like engaging and feel like they're like a part of your brand or really understanding like the value they see from it. So I think now to answer your question now, um, now more than ever, brand affinity is so important with marketing. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I, I've been having a lot of conversations with marketers and, and, you know, there is definitely kind of two camps here, right? There's the people who are very like performance focused and then there's the other side who are very brand focused. I'd be curious to get your take on, are there any brands that you think are doing a really great job that are in like doubling down on content to be able to continue to maintain like that brand and that sense of community? I think that um, for FOHR, they're an influencer marketing platform. They've done an amazing job with content marketing. I would say even we've partnered with them on a couple campaigns that later before, um, but they didn't have a huge brand marketing presence um, mm-hmm. before COVID. Like they, they had a really strong brand, but for example, they don't have like a very active um blog. I I don't think they're like, you know, investing a lot in like typical content marketing activities, but what they did is basically, which kudos to them. I have no idea how they did this so fast, but when this was all happening, like they put up a, um, influence in the age of COVID-19 landing page, like right away, 
with resources. They came out with like emergency, like podcasts, videos, reports, like so much content um, to, because influencers were freaking out that all their campaigns were getting canceled. They didn't know what was happening. Like it was a huge area of concern. So they just went to meet their community and give them what they needed. It wasn't a sell. It wasn't anything like that. It was just trying to like help out their audience, which is influencers as much as possible. Um, and so I think they've done a really, really good job with that content. You know, they hosted, um, a webinar with, um, a few different influencers and it was a Q and a, and again, it's nothing, the quality isn't like this super fancy webinar, but what made it so special is just the content and the value that they were providing was so needed. So they've done a really good job at that. And again, I feel like the fact that you can, you know, push that out days after, you know, people are being like, what, we have to stay home. Like my team, it took me a week at least of just to like process like that we had to not be business as usual right now. So the ability to like somehow without even processing, be able to like action all of that was really impressive. I also think Bandeau, their Instagram is shop Bandeau, B-A-N-D-O. They did a really great job on social of being really conscious with their audience and they clearly know their audience and they clearly knew that a lot of their audience is probably laid off or something like that right now. And their founder actually had her book come out like the week after really everything hit the fan and they still had to like promote a book launch. So that's a really difficult time to promote a book launch, but they did it in such a thoughtful manner and they were so considerate in their copy and literally calling out things like, we know this is maybe not a good time to shop for all, but if you want to, da, 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 da. and it was just, it's really, really well done. Um, yeah. So I think that they've done a good job too. And I mean, the book became a New York Times bestseller. So obviously they were successful with oh, wow. all their promotional efforts too, yeah. but it was done in a really like thoughtful way. And I think that's something that's really hard to pull off. Yeah, I think one of the things, and those were both great examples. I think one of the things that that I've been thinking about in talking to our clients and you know f- friends who work in marketing is whether you were agile or not before this, you are now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like this thing has kind of just forced you because everything has forced you as a marketer um, because everything has just been so turned upside down. And so it's interesting to see it's different in every company, right? Because there's so many different operational implications and staff members are going through certain things like, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is, it is cool to see some of these brands be like, yep, no problem. And you're like, whoa, I am in such awe of how you were able to do that. So that's really, really cool. Thanks for sharing that. And I mean, like at later, like I was feeling like so on top of the world. I was like, oh my goodness, I have the entire quarter's calendar, content calendar done all before the quarter even starts. Like I was so proud of myself and then literally had to throw everything in the trash and start all over again. So (laughs) I'm sure there's so many people who are dealing with that too. So yeah. and, And I mean, yeah, everyone's dealing with it. And also I think the thing that I've heard a lot of is it's the timing thing. It's like, okay, I know I need to be planning, but for what and when. And yeah. so, you know, engaging in scenario planning, sure, like that, that, that's good advice. But it's like, is the scenario a month from now, three months from now, six months from now. And so I think that's something that a lot of people are, are struggling with as well. A couple more things here I want to ask you. So there's no shortage of 
content in the world. There, there's stats all over the place talking about how many, how much video is, I think it's like 300 hours a minute worth of video is uploaded onto YouTube. And you know, there's hundreds of millions of posts on, on Instagram each day. And there's obviously a ton of innovation happening around content marketing as well. You're someone who, who I look to, and I know many others look to as, um, you know, kind of leading the way or, or your opinion is, is very valued. What gets you excited in terms of innovation around content marketing or where content marketing is headed? It's such a tricky question because a month ago I would have said events (laughs) (laughs) because I think there's so much. um, And like, for example, like LaterCon is our um, annual kind of like conference and it's fully digital, but we still have a, we still film it all in person to have that really high like quality of content. So even though it's shared virtually, there was a huge IRL component to it. So I get really excited about how do you take like, how do you create these like really high production experiences for people that can be shared virtually. Um, So that's interesting to me right now. And, you know, lots of events now they're moving virtual and like, how do you have a fully 100% virtual event where everyone is like filming everything from their own homes and not from like a studio that they go into especially Mm -hmm. when you're having to work with like you know famous talent and stuff like that um that can make it even more difficult so i think that um i'm really excited to see what create cultivate does because they're having a virtual summit on may 2nd so i'm excited to see what that looks like because they're such um leaders in like the cool conference and event space so i think that will be really interesting to see also just tiktok gets me so excited (laughs) (laughs) of course and i think that that we're already seeing how tiktok is trickling down and it's changing how other content types are created you know you see its effect on instagram already and I think that that will only continue just, just in the terms of having, you know, some like lighthearted content, people not taking themselves so seriously or needing everything to be, you know, so perfect. Um, mm. And yeah, I'm really interested to see how like long form content, how long form content continues to expand and grow and, um, and just, yeah, seeing where that goes as brands, you know, I think I get really excited about, um, like MailChimp has their kind of their own basically version of like a Netflix TV show. So does Wistia. Like people are creating these whole basically TV shows as a brand Um, and, and not needing, and you know, you have your own distribution platform. If you have your own audience and your really big email list and all that stuff, it's like you can basically become a media company as a brand. So that's pretty exciting to me. And I would say that later has, basically half of a bar <laughs> we, we could basically be a media company at this point too yeah i mean with the well with the amount of content that you guys pump out at the level of quality that you do i i question how you do it oftentimes so <laughs> I, I completely agree what's one if you had to kind of say like one thing for for you know content marketers to keep top of mind given like where we're at today what would you what would you say to them have empathy, have be empathetic towards your audience and what they're going through or being empathetic towards your team and what they're going through as well. Um, 
you know, for example, I don't have kids, but I have someone on my team who has kids and is pregnant. And so even just like there was something in, I think we use the word like bored in some sort of copy. And Mel was like, I really don't think we should be implying that people are bored right now because I'm so stressed out having my kid here all the time and stuff like that. So I think that's just like, I was like, oh yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I'm only thinking about things through like my own lens and not through the lens of all these other people and what their life things are. So it's kind of basic, but I think sometimes it's just, it's, it's easy to get caught up in our own circumstances and just really trying to be empathetic to what everyone is going through and how the situation is so different for, for everyone right now. And just trying to keep marketing being human to human interaction, basically. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's very well said. One, one thing that I always ask people and I always, I'm trying to get an idea from, from people of where they get their information from. How do you stay up to date with everything? What, like, what are you reading? Who are you following? Like, I'd love to, for you just to kind of talk about that. Cause I think a lot of people, again, like I said, look to you as, as someone who's kind of leading the way. What does the leader look at? <laughs> I look at my Google alerts. <laughs> <laughs> I have Google alerts set up for different keywords. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I should read a lot more than I do. I'm get almost all of my news just from social media. I follow a lot of people on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, on everything. And so, you know, that's everything from like following what the 15 year olds on TikTok and like who they're dating up to like, you know, the um, CMOs at companies that I really admire. So um, yeah, I think I just rely on on social media for a lot of my news. So for everybody listening out there, go lurk yeah. Taylor's accounts and see who <laughs> following because that'll give you the goods. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, like I'm following like 2,300 people on Instagram. I just looked, so um, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> well, it, I mean, you got yeah, you got to you got to be able to consume a lot to be able to stay on top of it. Yeah, I also like the, um, I would say the probably my favorite newsletter, outside of the later newsletter, of course, um, <laughs> is there's a BuzzFeed has a newsletter called Please Like Me, and it's written by this girl, Steph McNeil, I think is her last name, and it's all about, it comes every Friday, and it's just kind of a synopsis of like what's going on with influencers right now, um, and it's kind of from like a cultural level, um, so I like I like reading that one. Um, my name twin, Taylor Loren, Z, so exact same name. Hers just has a, a Z at the end of it. She writes for the New York Times about internet culture. I think like following her is a um, really good idea. I mean, as much as you can follow like the culture of the internet and then you'll be able to like get so many ideas just from seeing what's happening like just on people's social regular lives and then you can be like, okay, well, if there's a trend that's happening people connecting like just friend to friend or like user to user eventually that will trickle down in some way for, for brands too absolutely so speaking of following people where's the best place for people to find you online yes follow me on instagram <laughs> my handle is at taylor.loren l-o-r-e-n um yeah instagram's the best channel but i have the same um 
handle everywhere. I think I'm on TikTok, but my, I don't really share any like marketing stuff on TikTok. I share a lot of candle videos. Um, that's <laughs> You're become a candle my influencer. <laughs> yes, that's become my niche on TikTok. I don't know why people like love candle videos. <laughs> but yeah, uh, my main channels yeah would be Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Cool. But, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your your insight, and I'm excited to continue to watch the the amazing content that you and the team at Later keep producing. Thank you so much. I'm so happy we had this chat. Appreciate you, and we'll talk to you soon. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.